Hi everyone, my name is Melissa Lee and I'm your health coach who targets women with PCOS and women in general who wants to achieve stubborn weight loss. I do my best work when I work with PCOS urban women in their 30s who are embarrassed about their weight but want to feel comfortable in their bodies and are able to lose stubborn weight naturally. In this podcast, we talk about various topics including why stubborn weight loss is so hard to achieve. If this is you, definitely put this in your podcast list because one episode will be released every single week. Hi everyone, I have Vienna Farlow on the show today and her job title is very intriguing. Known as a consultant, Vienna is an advocate and enthusiast about the vagina and people who have them. She is a justice holistic reproductive health practitioner and has a firm stance about educating people about their bodies. We're going to be chatting about period positivity, empowerment and fertility awareness today. So welcome Vienna. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think the whole uh, you know, topic about period health is just blowing up right now. And I just want to you know, get on the same train and go with the flow. So my first question to you is, why should we even care about our periods? I mean, this is a great question. And I think we should care about our periods, one, because we spend you know, a fair amount of time menstruating. Um, and so if you have a period, there's that. It's just a part of your physiology and that's important um, in its own right. And then also I think there's a couple, I guess there's a couple, like there's like the physiology is really important. We can touch on that. And then I also think socially there's a lot of importance there as well because historically we've been told that our periods are gross and dirty and only necessary if we're trying to have babies. And those are not true facts. Um, I would say like the number one reason actually going back to the physiology to care about your period is because it's the fifth vital sign of your body. So, you know, like things like blood pressure and heart rate, your period, your menstrual cycle gives a lot of information about the overall health of your body. And it's recognized by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists. So it's not something I made up. It's actually a recognized vital sign and how our periods function both like your actual bleeding time and what's that what is that like like is Mm -hmm. it painful it shouldn't be painful that's one thing to throw in there at the top um and then what's like the overall quality of your entire menstrual cycle are you ovulating if you're ovulating how what is the quality of that ovulation and why all that is important is because that's one of the main ways we make a great deal of hormones in our bodies as people with menstrual cycles so it's not just an annoyance. It's not just mm-hmm. a thing that's like, oh God, now I have to like navigate not getting pregnant or figuring out my fertility or every month I have to like deal with this thing. And I can totally understand like, you know, it's, it can yeah, be- Yeah, it's very overwhelming. Yeah, it like gets in, it can interrupt your, your flow, right? Of how your day is going or your week is going. Um, but I think a lot of that comes from social programming. And I also think it comes from just- this idea that it's supposed to be terrible and it's supposed to be a terrible time. And so there's a lot of like hyped up around that. Like it's annoying. It's going to cause you pain. It's problematic, but it doesn't have to be any of those things. You know, I heard um, before I got you on my podcast, um, I actually was hearing this doctor. She was doing like a Q&A about Uh, PCOS and just like reproductive health and she firmly believes like she started a movement I don't know what I forgot what it's called but she um, she thinks that periods are unnecessary and Mm. she um, she really advocates for it in the Q&A and I was like really astounded and she told you know she's like on track to tell her daughter that you know you just go on the birth control you don't need to have a period and 
Um, so for, you know, for women who have both sides, I guess, conflicting messages, like how would you, you know, tell them that, hey, you know, your periods are necessary. You don't have to, it's not like something you have to avoid, I guess. How yeah. do you express that? Yeah. So I think, I, I think I know exactly who you're talking about. I think I saw the same article maybe. Um, but this idea <laughs> of, yeah, you don't need to have a period, right? So, yeah. we, so it's really interesting because it's actually a totally new phenomenon that's happening. And it's because of the birth control pill. I just want to take a quick moment to talk to you about modern fertility. If you are someone who wants to get pregnant real soon, or if you're anyone in your age 20s or 30s, if you want to have kids in the next five years, if you're considering freezing your eggs, or if you suspect your hormones are imbalanced, such as if you have PCOS or if you actually went off birth control, um, I would encourage you to look up Modern Fertility. Modern Fertility is actually a comprehensive fertility hormone test for women that you can take at home. The online experience includes a physician-reviewed personalized report, access to weekly webinars, and actually a free one-to-one -one consultation with a fertility nurse. I love Modern Fertility and they are incredible because they are giving us women a super easy at home test which costs only $159 when when it is so much more expensive to go to a fertility clinic and get that same hormone test for more than $1500 so with Modern Fertility, this test actually gives you access to the information you need to help to plan ahead and navigate the world of fertility. All tests are conducted in a certified lab, and Modern Fertility's team of physicians and clinical advisors lead some of the nation's top fertility clinics. With Modern Fertility, if you are currently pregnant or breastfeeding, the hormone test will not work for you. And if you're over 45 years old, this will not work for you either. I'm really excited to share with you about this test because for women with PCOS, we have a lower chance or we seem to have a lower chance of conceiving. And having this test, knowing exactly where your hormones levels are and knowing how good your egg reserve is, will actually give you a clearer mental picture of whether you can conceive or not. And if your chances are low, heck, you can actually kind of plan, a, you can plan ahead, right? You can plan two or three years ahead. So the modern fertility test will actually tell you if you have more or less eggs than average and what you can expect from egg freezing and IVF and actually how your hormone levels relate to PCOS, which is what one in 10 women have. And the overall result is you have a broader clarification and understanding of your general hormone health. So... Modern fertility, it depends, it goes on eight fertility hormones that they test. And if you aren't sure and you're not ready to buy, you can always go to modernfertility.com where you can take a quiz to receive more information about it and go straight to kind of building your own timeline tool on the website. So basically inputting your, your age and how many kids you want and they will actually give you a timeline of when you should be thinking of conceiving in order to get the specific goal how cool is that and 
The best thing about modern fertility is that you get support from the modern community where you can find women supporting women regarding their own personal fertility journeys. I, for one, am so excited to share my modern fertility results with you. I recently got my test in the kit and I'm waiting for day three of my period to actually do the test at home and send it back to the lab. So for more information, and if you're ready to dive deep and want to get your own modern fertility test kit, you can get 10% off. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash nourishmail to get your kit. Once again, go to modernfertility.com slash nourishmail to get your modern fertility kit today. So essentially what's happened since we have the hormonal birth control pill, which was developed sometime in like the 1950s, 60s, I don't remember the exact date. We've had it for a while now. We've actually had it for a few generations. So the way that we think about periods today, you and I, is really different than how maybe our great-grandparents did. Definitely our great-grandparents, perhaps even our grandparents. Um, and that has fundamentally changed like a lot of realities for women, right? We have birth control, we, get, mm. we have more control over our fertility and when we get pregnant, when we don't. So I'm not discounting any of those wonderful things that the pill has done, what it's also done is it's kind of removed us from the importance of our physiology. So it's now optional to have a period because when you're on hormonal birth control, just to like back up the conversation a little bit, yeah. hormonal birth control shuts off your reproductive capacity, right? It shuts off part of your endocrine system. It stops ovulation and it stops the production of your own hormones in that way, like particularly estrogen and progesterone the mm -hmm. highest concentrations. So that essentially the pill makes you unhealthy enough to not get pregnant. Right. And, and I just want to point out, yeah. right, and I just want to point out that if someone's listening and they're on the pill and they're like, oh, but I still bleed like every month, yeah. but that's not a real period. I just want to say that. Totally. So it's not a real period. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're not ovulating. So the way that most hormonal birth control works is by preventing ovulation, which is a whole part of like the whole hormonal cascade of our functioning. Um, if you're not ovulating, you're actually not menstruating, but you are bleeding. And so that bleed is just like a function of the uterus. It's a withdrawal bleed. So the reason you get a bleed if you're taking the pill is because you kind of, you stop taking the hormones for that week uh, it's not enough to like bring back your fertility, but it's enough to trigger the uterus to shed the lining. And so that's why your periods are lighter and less, maybe less painful on the pill because you're not actually having a period. So you can still bleed, but it's not actually a period. Therefore, if you're on the pill, you actually don't need to have that bleed. There's no reason to have it. So this goes back, the reason that we have it goes all the way back to when our grandparents or great-grandparents were going through the beginning of the pill. And prior to that, like for all of history, women, people with uteruses have viewed menstruation as essentially a positive health sign because it means you're healthy. If you have a period, it means you're healthy and you know you're not pregnant. So it's really important information for us. So when they were developing the pill, they, re they knew that you didn't need to have a period anymore because they were interfering with that process. So they'd give women these, um, like when they were testing it, pills that like would take away your period essentially for months because you don't need to have that bleed. And it freaked women out because you weren't used to this. You're like, right. am I pregnant? What's wrong with me? Yeah. And so, so that was part of it. And then also they wanted, they wanted the pill to be seen as natural by the Catholic church because it kind of comes out of like this idea of how can we have a birth control method 
we don't mm. need to know all the history legal <laughs> method that's approved by the Catholic Church, which is you know known for having very strict ideas around birth control. So they built in that withdrawal week. So it's actually right. for aesthetics. I like to say that. Like that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's not. There's no. If you're on hormonal birth control, there's no reason to be bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason to have a period because you're not having a period. But it's there to make us feel like it's a natural thing. Yeah, and the pill depletes like nutrients, especially like B6 and all that. Like there's yeah. so many like side effects of the pill that you know uh, women may not know or may not be told about by their. Totally. Yeah, well, and then just to go back to the doctor we were talking about a few minutes ago, the reason what she's saying in regards to like, do you need to have a period? No, you don't if you're on the pill. There's no reason to. You're, you're not actually, your hormones aren't functioning. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but that's a separate category. Like, if you're on hormonal birth control, do you have to have a period? Do you have to have a bleed? No. Short answer, no, because you're not actually menstruating. You're not ovulating. As a person with um, like the capacity to have a menstrual cycle, you know, you have uterus, ovaries, vagina, all those things. Mm-hmm. Do you need to have a period? The answer is yes, because you need to ovulate because mm-hmm. ovulation is so important for your physiology. And it's not just things like, oh, now you can have a baby. Like, you know, yeah. it kind of reduces down to like your ability to have a baby And when we reduce your period, your menstrual cycle to just having a baby, we make it like we, we discount the entirety of the process. So when you ovulate, you're making hormones that help your brain, like the whole cycle, right? Things that help your brain, things that help your bones, things that help your mood, your blood sugar, your ability to like process and use energy. These are fundamental things that yes, relate to having a baby, but it's not the whole story. I like the way you covered all of this. Yes, perfect. Because, yeah. yes, every time, you know, we talk about birth control or ovulation, I think the only thing that women focus on is like, I don't want to, it's either I want to get pregnant, I want to try to conceive, or I don't want to get pregnant, and that's it. But it's just so much more than that, as you said. Like, it's, it's sort of like if someone has a pill for making you not digest food so that you can eat a lot or something, you know, like it's kind of taking away like a vital process. And like, I mean, to us, it's very clear, but I just want to paint like a bigger picture. Like, okay, this is really part of your body. Like, it's not just about getting pregnant or not. Yeah. I mean, we like to say, so I like, I'm a holistic reproductive health practitioner. I was trained through Justice College. I teach the Justice method of fertility awareness. And we like to say fertility equals health. Like if you're healthy, you're fertile, generally speaking. If you're fertile, you're healthy. And then with that, like a fertile body will sometimes get pregnant. And that is like so normal and natural and good. It's just we have all of these like additional social ideas of what it means like to get pregnant um, unwantedly or, you know, all these different things. Um, But yeah, I think, and again, going back to this doctor, this idea of, oh, I'm just going to tell my daughters that they don't need to have a period until they want to have babies. Mm-hmm. It's also ludicrous because we see, and I see this in my practice and I've seen it through my mentors and all of this, where let's say you go on the pill at 14 or 16. You're like, maybe you're not ready to have sex, but your period is a little complicated, painful, it's heavy. You don't have the other tools to deal with it. Your doctor says, easy, we're just going to put you on the pill to regulate your cycle. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as re- regulating your cycle. What it's doing, again, it's just shutting off your cycle and imposing a new cycle on top of it. 
You are on that pill then from 16 until 35, where you want, you're finally in a position where you're like, okay, I want to try to have a baby. You go off the pill and you try to get pregnant. For some people, it can happen right away. Okay. But for a lot of people, the time back to fertility takes a while because you haven't, you shut off your ovarian functioning before it was fully mature. Our reproductive system doesn't fully mature until 10 years after your first period. So in my case, like I had my first period at 11, my system wasn't fully mature until 21. Right. I didn't know that. No one told me that. Yeah. And so then you're, if you're like younger than that and you're on the pill, your reproductive system hasn't had enough time to fully mature. So when you come off of it, it might need to play a lot of catch up. And then you're 35 and you're already in a position where like you're probably still like your ability to have a baby is still there. But the older we get, it declines, right? Mm -hmm. So then you're in this position where you wanted to have a baby yesterday. You got off the pill. Your your body is you're not getting pregnant when you want to because your body has to come back into normal functioning and perhaps like come back into health. If there if you're on the pill for underlying health issues, you have to address those. And all those things will impact one your ability to get pregnant, two the your ability to carry a pregnancy to term, and three mm -hmm. the quality of the, the health of the pregnancy, your health and the health of your baby. So there's stuff to do. Right. And then you're 35 and like the, the time. Clock. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and then maybe you end up in a situation where you're like, I need to have this baby. I really want to have this baby. Then you go back into a clinic and you start IVF, which I have nothing mm. like against IVF, but I think like you, you're kind of like putting people down this track of mm. cutting them off from their bodies, not giving them enough information about how to engage with their body because your period is annoying like we're doing this all because your period is annoying and then it kind of yeah yeah and it kind of just like goes down this path and this is maybe a more extreme case but it happens all the time where you know then you're trying to get pregnant and doesn't happen doesn't happen and you go through all this like pain and loss and like you know infertility is a loss of a maybe you haven't had a miscarriage but you're unable to get pregnant so there's all this like emotional turmoil that someone can go through after thinking like, oh, I'm on the pill. It's healthy. Like everything's fine. My doctor said everything's fine. And then you get older and you aren't given the accurate information along the way. And then I just, you know, people end up in these places where they feel distraught or sad or any, any number of emotions Mm -hmm. and they just weren't set up for success. So that makes me very uncomfortable. It makes me really upset when people have these ideas about like, yeah. you don't need a period unless you want to get pregnant, which is just not true. It is important for getting pregnant, obviously, but it's not the only reason to have a period. And I think it like just makes it just like, oh, women, it kind of like plays into the idea of like, women are just meant for reproduction. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, I was very, I was very, very disturbed by that too. Um, I love the clear picture you painted. You know, the whole like, if you take the pill when you're young, and what happens later when you want to try and conceive. Um, it made me think about you know PCOS women who already may not be ovulating on a regular basis, and the birth control is also, you know, a very commonplace um, treatment for them, and yeah, just for anyone listening, if you have PCOS, just think about like, what would this mean for your periods in the long term if they're irregular now and you want to try to conceive later, that might prove uh, even harder for you. So um, you mentioned actually fertility awareness late, uh, earlier. And could you tell us more about that and how can you like explain to us how this works? Yeah, so 
Fertility awareness-based methods are methods for understanding your menstrual cycle, generally from the lens of like, are you trying to avoid getting pregnant or are you trying to get pregnant? And a lot of people come to fertility awareness because they're trying to get pregnant, um, but you can use it for either one. So essentially all you're doing is you're tracking in a female body, you're tracking the signs of fertility and paying attention to those throughout the day, writing that information down, and then using that information to inform your sexual behavior, more or less. So all methods are approaching this from kind of the same idea. There are some methods that are rhythm methods or algorithmic methods. Um, so things like the calendar method, like the rhythm method, which is most right. people think that's what fertility awareness is. It's not. It's a form of natural contraception or natural fertility planning, um, but it's a different method. But basically it's saying like most people will be fertile, generally speaking, in this window. And so you can, you know, you can use that information. It doesn't work for everyone, obviously. That's why we have a lot of jokes about those methods. Like what, <laughs> right. do, you, what do you call someone who uses the rhythm method? Not. I've heard this joke before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, so there's that. And right. any app, if you're using a, an, a period tracking app and mm -hmm. all you're telling it is like, I had my period on this day. And then it's telling you like, okay, you're ovulating on this day. That's the rhythm method. Right. So there's the, there's, and then there's other variations of that based on that idea. Fertility awareness methods, though, typically are looking at observable data. So we know that you will see certain things throughout your cycle that will indicate whether or not you're fertile. So one is like your period, you had your period, the number of days it is, and then you start to look for cervical mucus. So cervical mucus is produced in the cervix. Some people call it cervical fluid, um, and it's produced under the influence of estrogen, and your estrogen levels start to rise the closer you are to ovulation. So as you approach ovulation, the cervix starts to make cervical mucus. And as you exit, once you ovulate, the cervix stops producing cervical mucus. So cervical mucus, I don't know how many times I can say it in a row, but I'm going to say it a bunch. <laughs> but essentially, its function is to make the vagina hospitable to sperm and extend the lifespan of sperm. Because your egg only lives like 12, maybe 24 hours, and maybe then only if you have more than one egg. Um, and that's the window. It's really tiny. And sperm needs some time to get through the vagina up the reproductive tract to fertilize an egg. The vagina normally is super acidic and basically just kills sperm on contact. So cervical mucus comes in and provides a nice alkaline environment for the sperm to live in. And actually they can live in the cervical mucus for three to five days. So that's the point of it. It's like to extend the ability, the window for us to get pregnant but you can also notice it. So it's just happening in your body regardless of what you want to happen, right? Like whether yeah. or not you ever want to have children, right. your body is <laughs> just doing that. It's just one of the things it does. Yeah. Um, so you'll start to see cervical mucus. So we're observing cervical mucus. That's like the number one sign of fertility. So checking for that. Um, in the method I teach, you just do external checks. So you're just like wiping across the vulva before and after going to the bathroom throughout the day and just seeing if there's anything on the tissue. Mm -hmm. So that's one, just looking for cervical mucus. And you probably already know what that is. Like it might look like um, white lotion-y, creamy stuff in your right. underwear. Like discharge. Yeah, or like raw egg whites, mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff. That's what it sort of looks like. And then it goes away. And then you don't have it for several days. And then maybe you get your period again. So it kind of goes in that pattern. The second thing we look at generally is basal body temperature. So basal body temperature is the first 
um, temperature that you take first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. So it's like your resting body temperature. And why we look at that is because prior to ovulation, your temperature is a little bit lower. And then once you ovulate, it goes up slightly. And that's because progesterone, which takes over after ovulation, raises your body temperature. So you can look at that. Mm -hmm. It's not super useful by itself because all it's doing is telling you that you ovulated. It's not giving right. you information as to when that was happening. It just said it happened. So we want to use that in conjunction with cervical mucus. So those are like the two main things I would say like every method looks at. Um, and then from there, there's a couple other things you can add in. So cervical positioning. So your cervix, which is the part of the uterus that you can feel in the vagina. It's like it's where menstrual blood comes through. It's where a baby would come through. If you've ever had an IUD, that's where they put the IUD into. Um, the cervix will actually move throughout your cycle. So people feel it like it feels like it's higher and harder to reach when you're fertile um, or it's like lower and easier to reach when you're infertile. Maybe it's softer and more open when you're fertile and firmer and closed when you're infertile. So tracking that can be really useful. And then some methods also add in hormonal testing. So you can like test right. your, your LH levels, your luteinizing hormone level to confirm ovulation. So we're looking at kind of like all those and then there's maybe some other pieces, but that's like the main data points. The Justice method, which is the method I teach, um, mm -hmm. looks primarily at cervical mucus, basal body temperature. Those are the top. And then we add in cervical positioning if you want to, it's not required. Um, but using just those two pieces of information or just using cervical mucus can give you a lot of information about where you are in your cycle and then right. how you want to behave sexually. So essentially, yeah. if you want to use it for birth control, you keep semen out of your vagina when you're fertile. If you mm -hmm. want to use it for getting pregnant, you do the reverse. Yeah, I like that. I, I myself, I started doing the fertility awareness method like since last year. Mm. Um, yeah, I've I've had Lisa Hendrickson Jack on the show. Um, yeah. I'll put I'll put a link to the episode. She explains it very well too. Um, yeah, I like how it's like free. It's I mean it's technically free. You have to buy a thermometer, but yeah. Um, but you know it's like you it it gives the woman uh, and someone with a uterus like the the power to kind of track their own body and be aware of their own body and. Even my partner, my, my husband, he learns about it. And, you know, it kind of strengthens the relationship too, I feel like. Um, because you would, uh, he would understand you better and, you know, you can plan if you want to get pregnant or not. So I'm glad you explained all of that really well. Yeah. I would also say on the partner front, I think, like, if you're in a heterosexual relationship or, like, any relationship, right, where there's, like, someone has a vagina and someone has a penis and there's, like, yeah. active sperm involved, right? What it does is this helps you share the, the burden of birth control. I put burden right. in air quotes that so no one can see. Um, but this idea that like it's only women who are responsible mm -hmm. for birth control most of the time, right? Like we have condoms and then it's like a whole debate over condoms of like, can, will he wear it? Will you make him wear it? Like all this stuff. Um, and so really it falls on us, like on the women to figure out the birth control most of the time. But with fertility awareness, you both have to actively engage with it. He mm -hmm. can't just say, I'm not, you're on the pill. I'm not going to think about it. And right. you actually both have to think about it and have conversations about it. And I think that can, it depends, right? It depends on how receptive your partner is. And if your partner isn't super receptive, then I have some thoughts and feelings on that. <laughs> but um, that all to say, like, it can open up greater communication. It can, yeah, for sure. if you both feel like you are, have a stake in this. 
Um, it can make you also like beyond the birth control aspect, the contraceptive aspect. Mm-hmm. It's just like things like he might be more aware of like how you're feeling if he knows where you are in your cycle. Right. And then energy people, levels. Yeah. And, yeah. All those. Yeah. So like it makes more sense. I know it helps like in my relationship, just like knowing, okay, like this is where I'm at in my cycle. I don't even need to tell him anymore. He just right. knows. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think it's, it's helpful for understanding and just like creating potentially greater harmony in a relationship, um, depending on the existing dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And if you want to, you know, if you're in a time where you want to conceive, then it gets exciting because you're like, oh, I'm in my fertile window. And both of you know what that means. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it just it definitely fosters some kind of connection. Yeah. And I think it's useful. Just like I was talking actually to um, a man about this the other day where it's just Mm -hmm. like, or just in general, like as women, female body people, we know so little about our own cycles, right? Like, I'm sure this is why you have the podcast, right? So it's like to educate us because it's not given to us easily. You have to like really dig for it. We know so little, we can find out so much and then have that experience within our bodies and apply it. Men, male people, like male body people, they have no information about how a menstrual cycle works and at all. And so they're at a greater deficit. But I think they do want to know and they do want to understand like how, you know, their partner is feeling, their mother's feeling, their sister, any of these things, right? So bringing them into the conversation, I think is only beneficial. And also just like knowing that it's not, just as it's not your fault, you don't know these things. It's also not their fault. They don't know these things. And as long as they're willing to learn and interested, I think that's a good thing. I love that. I'm nodding because no one can see me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we, you know, we talked about how women can uh, draw more connection to their bodies, like physically uh, through the fertility awareness method. So what about emotionally and spiritually? How can women connect with their bodies? Yeah, so that's a really good question as well. Um, I was actually having a conversation about this with Samantha Zipporah, who I recommend people check out. Um, She's another fertility awareness educator and just many, many things beyond that. She's an amazing person and mentor to me. Um, We're talking about like the spiritual aspects of this. Oh, I might look her up. You should. Because like she, Samantha Zipporah. Okay. Yeah. She has some really like, I definitely check out her stuff and her approach to spirituality. Um, But that being said, I think there's a lot of different things that can happen when you start to pay attention to your menstrual cycle. And as someone who teaches this and works with clients, like going through the process of learning fertility awareness, it can be very psychoactive because you're starting one to engage with your body in a way that maybe you never have before. And there can be a lot of shame that comes with that, with this idea again of like, why didn't I know any of this? Like how, why have I, was I not told this? So a lot of people feel like, very excited when they first learn this and then very angry. And then there's also some degree of shame in there. And that's pretty normal. Um, One, because it's new and you feel like you weren't given something that was useful to you. And also because generally speaking in our society, female bodies are very like um, oppressed or commodified or all these things. Like there's all these ideas about what it is to have a female body And those might not resonate with you as a person, but they're just pushed on you from like a very young age of like, this is what it means to be a good woman or a bad woman or whatever, right? So then when you start to actually look at and pay attention to your vagina and your fertility, that's something I don't think that historically we've been encouraged to do, at least not publicly. And that can bring up a lot of feelings. So I would say 
especially for those of you listening who have like problematic periods where like your period is very painful or uncomfortable or causes you a great deal of distress, tracking your, like coming into a fertility awareness practice, be it through like a specific method or just through paying attention to it can actually be very, very healing. Um, I would also encourage you to seek other help like through um, acupuncturists, nutritionists, herbalists, holistic reproductive health practitioners to help address if you're having pain. But it, it is a wound that we have of like this wound of um, just how negatively we view female sexuality in general. And so when you start to engage, it's not maybe you're not engaging directly with the sexual aspect of your vagina or your cycle, but it comes up. So I think this is a really good way for one, for you to come back to your body as an embodiment practice. Um, and two, a way to like subvert these ideas that we've been told what's acceptable about our bodies and what's acceptable for our, um, our sexual, our sexuality and what's acceptable for our responsibility when it comes to whether or not we have children. And I know for me, like I went on the pill when I was in my late teens because I wanted to be responsible because I didn't want to have a baby when I was a teenager and I wanted to have sex, but I wanted to be responsible. And so this was the responsible choice. The responsible choice is like go on the pill, use condoms, do all those things. So that's what I felt. I was like, I had this idea that like getting pregnant would have been like the worst thing that could possibly happen. And not to undermine that because it is a real legitimate fear, but it's not the worst thing that could happen. You can like figure out how to navigate a pregnancy. There are definitely things that can be worse. Um, so I'm trying to like gather my thoughts on the, the spiritual emotion, but the emotional aspect right. just to say like a lot of like intense feelings can come up because all your life you've been told like touching your vagina, looking at your vagina, um, on your own terms and just for like informational purposes is bad or dirty. Um, And I think we have the same idea with like female masturbation, right? Like people are still like, it's gross. Like why girls masturbate? What? Um, Because you're doing it for yourself and you're not doing it as a performance or for someone else. Right. So it's okay if your doctor looks at your vagina, it's okay if your boyfriend looks at your vagina, but it's not okay if you look at your vagina, then that's Yeah, it's like a taboo. And I think it gets, you know, inundated with like religion. So I grew up Catholic and it's also that's very like taboo. So there's like so many pieces, I think, around the whole sexuality piece that you're bringing up. Yeah, and I think definitely religion plays a very big part in this. And then even even if you're not raised religious, though, I think like some of the religion definitely seeps into the wider culture. Right. Um, But yeah, it's like all these ideas of like how you're supposed to be responsible so that, that's part of it, the emotional part. Um, I would say that when you, it's kind of, it is an embodiment practice, fertility mm-hmm. awareness. So one of my teachers, her name is Jenny Coos. Uh, she has, uh, her Instagram is called Wolverine. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, yeah. Um, she's Swedish, but she calls fertility awareness pussy mindfulness. <laughs> and I think it's like such a brilliant term because that's kind of what it is. Like it's a mindfulness practice. It's an embodiment practice about what it, what it means to have a menstrual cycle and how does that impact your day-to-day life. So that's why I think it can be so challenging because right. it's a part of ourselves that is, we are told from a young age, there's like, you're cursed. You have, right? Like Eve, yeah. the curse of Eve sucks to be you. Yeah. Good luck. And it's actually not, it's a blessing. It is how our, it is like an innate functioning of our bodies 
you know, like it's been passed down from our ancestors that, you know, with the, with the idea of evolution, which again, kind of controversial with maybe Christianity, but this idea that <laughs> our bodies, like, you know, epigenetics and the traits that have been passed down to us by our ancestors are the ones that they saw as most valuable. And for some reason, menstruation has continued to be like a very valuable part of that. Having a menstrual cycle is still like a valuable trait to pass down. So, you know, if we're thinking about this in context of connecting maybe back with our lineages, I know there's, I myself pay attention to that. I know lots of people do. That is a way you connect. And there's, you know, it's also the obvious way you connect because that's how the next generation is made. They are made out of our bodies. And there's a whole like fact and idea and truth that you actually existed in your grandmother's body, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Because of the whole egg situation. Yeah, because like, so your mother was, you know, when she was in the womb of your grandmother, her ovaries already had teeny tiny little egg follicles in there. And you were were. one of those eggs. Yeah. Yeah. You existed back that far. And I I think that is like a really vital piece of this. It's like, this is, this is like the physical blessing of being embodied. And this is how we bring new life in. And, but for whatever reason, for many reasons, right? Like, I think there's a lot of misogyny in there. We've been told that this is a really dirty, bad part of ourselves. But actually, it's one of the most important things for humanity. Mm-hmm. Menstrual blood and the womb. It's just, it's vital to our success as a species. With, of course, like, there's a lot of things on top of that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's vital. There used to be a lot of rituals too, you know, back then, like when you first start bleeding or when you turn into a woman and I feel like because we've lost that then we're like we don't celebrate that when we grow up or you know when we get to a certain age and I think that also builds this dissociation from a woman body yeah you're like you get your first period and you're like said here's some tampons now you can get pregnant yeah yeah people back then they're like yay now if you get your first period you're like shit like yeah it's like oh no yeah. Right. And I, and there are people I know who are trying to bring that back, right? Like there are some parents who will have like monarchy parties, like, oh, that's funny. which I think causes a great deal of embarrassment, but maybe when they get older. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Like we used to like very much celebrate mm-hmm. fertility because, you know, it was, it was like, it was very important because we needed people to continue on our way of life. And the way he did that was like by making sure babies lived and the, you know, the people at the wombs were fertile and healthy as much as you could. So, yeah, I think the, I mean, so on that point, as far as like spiritual spirituality or like getting in touch with your body, mm-hmm. I would encourage people to make their own little ritual around this. And there's lots of different ways you can do that when it comes to any phase of your menstrual cycle. But, you know, specifically, like, I think menstruation is kind of the easiest place to start because it's yeah. really like, you know, you know, when you're on your period, you might be like a little bit confused about when you're in your fertile window, but you know, when you're on your period. And so you can start with things like one of the things I like to do is water plants with menstrual blood. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's a really good way, one, to nurture your plants. So from just like a third dimensional, like <laughs> fundamental piece, like it's full of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. So the blood is like very rich blood. And if you're a gardener, you might already know like blood meal is a kind of fertilizer you can get that's mm-hmm. like literally made out of blood of animals. And so do you mix that with water? Yeah. So you want to dilute it. It's like maybe like 10 times, like dilute it by 10. Mm-hmm. 
So you just like a little bit of blood and you probably have like after a day and just make sure it's fairly well diluted because you don't want to overwhelm your plants and then just pour it on your plants and you can do it on your house plants, you can do it on your vegetables. You just don't want, like if it's, you could do it on your lettuce, just like don't pour it maybe on the lettuce <laughs> root, right? Dude, um, I, oh my God. I want to uh, share this idea yeah. as well as you. <laughs> You're like, you, you can just tell him. It's like, I'm already making this blood. Yeah. Let's oh use it God, for something. So, funny. Yeah. so that's one way. And so what's radical about that is we also have like a long history of saying that menstruating women will spoil crops. Like there's this quote, that I have like on my desk about from Pliny the Elder, who's like an ancient yeah. historian. And he basically says, let's see, um, contact with menstrual blood turns new wine sour, crops touched by it become barren, grafts die, <laughs> seeds are dried up, the, tree, the fruit of trees fall off, like, and it also like makes dogs crazy. So there's like, though, that's a history of like how people viewed menstrual blood. And then there's all these other like taboos around I think there's one like women shouldn't can tomatoes when they're menstruating. Like there's oh, these like superstitions mm -hmm. and I don't really know why that is one, but it exists. Um, but there's nothing inherently unclean about you. It just, it might be a little bit messy, but this is, again, this is the blood that new life grows out of. So right. something that we're starting to realize, like science at least is realizing the rest of us, I think knew this, um, is that menstrual blood is full of stem cells. So it's this vital source of stem cells, and which makes sense because that's how you make a baby, right? Yeah. Um, so you can you can start if you want to like have a little practice. You could start by like having an honoring of your blood, essentially, and like you maybe collect it in a menstrual cup, or if you have it in pads or things like that, you can always just soak them to get the water out, to get the blood out, and then water your plants and see how that goes, and just mm -hmm. like see how that feels for you, and maybe continue that on. Other things that people do. Um, so Chloe Skurlock is another uh, deceased practitioner and friend of mine, and she's been doing menstrual um, facials. So she'll take oh. her period blood and uh -huh. she'll wipe it on her face and let it yeah. the mask. And then oh my it. god, so that's like another. Maybe that's like too edgy, but yes. you could try yeah. it. You could try it because again, stem cells. You could pay like a lot of money for a special face cream with stem cells in it, or you could just wipe your period blood on your face so those are those are some tiny ways to start other things to do i would say like um making like making the first day of your period as much as you can a day of rest mm -hmm. really, yeah i do that a lot yeah. yeah can be really transformative as much as you're able to even if that just means like you go to bed a little bit earlier that day right. um or like maybe that's when you get takeout or something so you don't yeah. have to, like just you know setting that up um, to be as restorative and restful as possible, I think can really shift a lot of things for people. Um, again, especially if you don't have a great relationship with your cycle at this time. Um, something else that can be really helpful is vaginal steaming. You know yeah, vaginal I've heard of is. that. Um, is, you know, is, steaming? But is that still going on right now? I, well, oh, you mean yeah, like I guess, in a location? Yeah, in a location. Yeah. But I, I guess you can DIY it. Yeah. You can DIY it. So yeah. like, that the way I usually teach people about it is through doing it at home. But yeah, I don't think you can, you're probably not able to go to a spa as much yeah. given the current circumstances of COVID. Um, but you can easily do vaginal steaming, yoni steaming at home. Um, I learned about it from Kelly Garza of Steamy Chick. 
and she's another like really wonderful person to check out. So she has a lot of information on this. Mm -hmm. But essentially, yoni steaming, vaginal steaming, these steams, all you're doing is you're boiling a pot of herbs. So kind of like you're making a tea, or if you were to steam your face, right? Like you just you're taking an herbal steam right. and putting it in your face instead of your face, you're doing your vulva. Mm -hmm. So you want to have ideally something you can sit on with a hole in it. So if you have a stool or a chair that already has a hole in it, I've even heard people say like the slats in like um, lawn chairs works. Like it doesn't need to be a big space, but just oh, enough, okay. right? Yeah. For the so, steam to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Some people uh, clean out the toilet and like put the pot in the toilet and sit on that. So there's ways you can do it at home. But you just make a pot of herbs. Um, generally, they're things like rosemary, mugwort, rose petals, lavender, um, parsley, like all these different herbs that have different properties. Mm -hmm. for the pelvic bowl essentially and then you sit over that once it's like an, a good temperature it's still warm and steaming but not going to burn you yeah <laughs> and you sit on that for anywhere from like 10 to 30 minutes or so and what that does is it helps your body relax steam helps muscles relax very quickly the herbs also provide some benefit by going through the mucosal membrane and it can, one, it can just help you relax. It can help you sleep really good. That's like a one part of it. And then the other things it can help with is pain. If you have a really painful period, it can help with your pain. Um, healing postpartum, it can be very helpful for that. Some people find that it helps like if they have some kind of like yeast infection or BV, um, yeah. it can be helpful for that depending on the herbs you're using. But if nothing else, it's a good way to like help you focus again on a part of your body that maybe you don't have a great relationship with, or maybe you've been told is not for you or not something right. you're allowed to engage with. And it's very gentle. It's non-invasive and it generally people just feel really good after doing it. So it's not exactly something you, you don't want to do it when you're bleeding. So you don't yeah. want to do it on your period, but before or after. I like um, that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like nice little rituals to start doing um, if you feel called. Awesome. Um, hopefully some of the ideas would resonate with people yeah. and not frighten them off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like I teach a very specific method of fertility awareness. And so if yeah. you want to like have guidance doing it in a very particular way, come to someone mm -hmm. like me, but also you can just start like making notes on like a calendar or even in a notebook of like the first day of my period, the first day of your period is the first day of your cycle. So that'd be cycle day one. And you just go like, Cycle day one, I was bleeding. This is how I felt. This is what the blood looked like, blah, blah. Cycle day two, three, 10, you know, continue on. Yeah. And just like make notes of how you feel. Make notes of what you might be seeing in your underwear. Um, make notes of like, even your mood, if you have headaches, if you like are craving things, if your appetite changes, um, if you're having dreams, like sex dreams or other kinds of things like that. If you're feeling exuberant and wanting to be out in the world if you're feeling very closed and internal and just look at that information like do it for a I would say like do it for at least three cycles and see what you notice yeah and it can just be like again it like can be really good to come into yourself and understand yourself a little bit better if nothing else and I think actually that's the best part about fertility awareness is that it's understanding you and then you can use that information for other things but if you feel like why do I like um that commonly like people just like being emotionally distressed is pretty common, right? With our cycles. Um, and if you know, like every time this around this time of your cycle, you get this way, you know, it's not going to last forever. You're like aware of that. This is a point in time. This is something that happens to me every month, 
or I have the same emotional response, or I have these feelings, good or bad. And then you know, like to maybe anticipate it, or it's just, it helps you not be like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so crazy? Right. You're not crazy. It's just, you're going through this process month after month. Um, so things like that, just even if it's just like a better understanding of how you operate, what your emotional capacity is, things like that, what your capacity for interaction is, paying attention to those mm-hmm. things, I think can just help you feel more at peace and less like as if you're in a fight with yourself. Yeah, I like that you said all of that. It resonated so well with me. I'm thinking about like, it builds resilience, you know, knowing that it goes away. Um, it builds like uh, boundaries, like you know, like you don't, maybe you don't want to interact with people during your period. I think it brings up a lot more um, benefits than people realize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's so much empowerment right there. Um, (laughs) I feel very, uh, (laughs) I feel very, I don't know, positive now about my period. Not that I wasn't, but so where can people find you to learn more? Yeah. So you can find on social media, the most active place I'm on is Instagram. And my Instagram is the cunt sultant, but cunt is spelled with a V. So it looks like the cunt sultant. So I'm a vagina consultant. That's the, the, (laughs) um, so the consultant on Instagram, or you can go to my website, which is the com, or email me directly at V at the Okay, good. I'll make sure to get all of that in. Thank you so much for our time. We learned so much. I love that you brought in like, you know, stories and facts about like the history and all that. And it just paints like a really good picture of how we are today and what we can do right now to change perspective. Yeah, it all starts with you. So you start with yourself and then, you know, hopefully we can change the world from there. Yes. Um, What a positive message on a Thursday. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Melissa. This is so lovely. It was great to chat with you today. Yeah, this is so fun. Thank you.